you're listening to a podcast by Hip Fee Hype, where we discuss new ideas around housing, sustainability and climate action to explore ways to support the sustainable growth of our cities and regions. I'm Laura Phillips and I'm the Head of Urban Advocacy at Hip Fee Hype. Hip Fee Hype is an entrepreneurial group of businesses that are working to resolve more sustainable, more socially responsible and more intuitive solutions to our cities. The future of our cities is electric. Removing our reliance on fossil fuels and embedding renewable energy into our built environment can support healthier, environmentally sustainable and climate resilient communities. Public infrastructure, transport, residential and commercial activities can generate and be powered by renewable energy. Today I sit down with Gavin Ashley, Better Cities and Regions Leader at Hype, and Bruce Thompson, Head of Customer at GreenSync, to discuss how we can future-proof our communities in order to care for our physical and mental well-being and the environment. What are the benefits of all electric cities? Thanks, Laura. I guess the first thing to point out is that there's lots of benefits to all electric cities. So... Probably if we, if we peel it right back, the major benefit is around uh, carbon reduction from operational stationary energy. So currently all electric fueled with renewables is the only technically feasible, financially viable way we've got to deliver 100% renewable energy supply to buildings and services. And as we see that declining intensity of the electricity network in terms of greenhouse gas emissions, that gap between what gas can supply in terms of efficiency and electricity tends to grow. I think I agree. Look, we we need to get to 100% renewables. We need to get to zero carbon, and we know that we need to do that quickly. One of the challenges of the environment for a long time is how do you do that transition? And the exciting thing, I think the shift while we have certainly day by day in urgency to get there what we're seeing is motion in the types of technologies that we have both the equipment and in the now in the software world if you're bringing together equipment that can actually send electric and provide the services that we need and you can coordinate that now in a digital world that we live in that's that's a really exciting proposition and it's as Gav said, you, we, we, you know, when we used to work together with the, the human-centred design, that you need, you need something that's technically viable, needs to be, have a business case, so it needs to be affordable um, to stack up, but people also need to like it, and people like it, and that's, that's what's exciting when you bring all those things together in a built environment. You, you can create the spaces that people want to live in and the businesses that can flourish, but by providing that with 100% electric supplies is, is here now. Just to pick up that point, Bruce, that... I think for a long time the development industry was quite scared of people feeling like their consumer choice might be restricted from a straight electricity supply, not having gas in the mix. But we see that disappearing really quick. The Green Building Council, for example, has just freshly minted their new tool, which by 2026 won't allow anything but all electric buildings, even at the lowest at the lowest rating to add to that is there's a massive consumer benefit if you're in a single dwelling in a house it's 250 dollars a year that you don't have to play in a supply charge so more and more there's consumer benefits in the mix as well and i suppose that the best 
point to embed that kind of infrastructure is at the start of planning, building a new precinct. What needs to be taken into account when, when building and planning a new precinct to, in order to achieve that all-electric city? To give it some context, what, electricity is this magical, magical thing that is now, is now with us in every part of our life, but it's been, it's been around for one and a half centuries or so, but it's now, and, and it's key importance in obviously our industrialization as a, as a planet has been a key driver as well of our emissions and some of the problems. What it's always been good at is being really good at transporting energy from, and we do that over long distances with, with high voltage transmission, and then we distribute it around our neighbourhoods, sometimes a bit ugly, and certainly in modern developments we don't have poles and wires that are along our streets, but we're able to do that more elegantly. But transport has always been its, its ability to do that very efficiently is great. The problem we've had is generating energy. We've had coal power stations at, at one end of it, the other problem has been storing that, and that's that's a change that we have in our in modern world about about the ability to use storage for storing electricity. And then the other problem is the, how efficiently we've used it. And I think one of the bigger things around the built environment was was about heating and cooling. How do you? And so we're solving these problems. We're getting it is much cheaper, as we all know now, to generate through solar, through wind. So we've got that capability to change the generation at the end, at one end of the, of the line, if you will. We have that efficient transport. Now we're in a world where the storage is, being able to store energy is becoming a lot more affordable and effective, but also our ability to actually use it in, in spaces that we live in, where heating and cooling, along combined with passive design, is here and now. That, that transformation, I think, that I've seen in my career and as we've worked together... In a very short we, space of in time. In a very short space of time, yeah. we, we've now got heat pumps for space heating and for space cooling, which has transformed the approach, has transformed the advice that the organisation... We worked together at the Moreland Energy Foundation. We were talking about efficient gas heating because that was the the cheapest and, and potentially the most efficient equipment that we had at the time. And that's that's really changing. So you put all of those pieces together, you get the generation transport at the big end, bringing energy into developments, but that ability to manage on site both efficient use and, and storage. And then that's why it's a compelling story now. I 100% agree, Bruce. Even withstanding when you take gas infrastructure out of the mix and you replace it with an all-electric alternative we're getting to the point in the business that Bruce is a part of is is sort of leading on that front I guess in terms of being able to make that transition from gas to electric without increasing the size of the network infrastructure that supports that and that's about being really clever with uh, the time of day where appliances are on and off, having a really good interaction with the electricity network. A lot of the, I guess if you think about the size of the electricity grid that is that supports us day to day, it's, it's largely driven by an air conditioning load. So it's sort of five o'clock when commercial buildings are still operating, when people are getting home from work and turning the aircon on in residential buildings. So it's that confluence of all, but they're all electric loads already. So that that introdu- that transition away from gas for things like hot water, for heating and um, cooking doesn't have a massive impact on, on that from a network perspective. So if it's done right, if it's planned right, then those transitions can be done, can be undertaken relatively painlessly. It's just about getting that conversation about this 
this precinct is going to be all electric, getting that conversation to happen as early in the, in the planning phase as possible. Well, just to that point on planning, I suppose the, the challenge is how to make sure that all electric, the principle is, is applied across both private land and public infrastructure. How can that be implemented from a planning stage? Well, we've had some good recent experience on a few on a few projects around urban renewal precincts and how this sort of maps out and our take from that those processes is that you've got to got to really well coordinate the supply side so your infrastructure side with the demand side and the way to control one of the most effective ways to control um, the demand side is through the exclusion of gas as part of uh, planning policy or standards. So we've recommended that on a number of recent precinct level projects. That's set up the gas infrastructure as not necessary and hopefully the infrastructure decisions follow. One of the one of the quirks of the planning scheme is it, it currently maintains gas, depending on who you ask, and there's different interpretations, as essential infrastructure. And I'd sort of argue, I think Bruce would back me up on this, that it's no longer the case that it's essential infrastructure. It, it's, it's more of an alter, alternative, which has a particular has a benefit to particular land uses, but certainly not across the board. Absolutely. I mean, I think we talk about... Because the big, the big decisions around, around planning from a development perspective is, is what's the cost of the infrastructure and the ability to... The requirement for new developments to, to pay for that investment up front and then try to recover that investment over a period of time. And what we're swinging now to is that some of that infrastructure is, is potentially unnecessary so it's got to be cheaper to build it de- it actually reduces the risk for a developer but the exciting thing is where the technology is that is it, it literally is more plug and play we're utilizing the existing infrastructure that we have around us right to the door of those developments and for that to be both two, two ways so developments can connect to the grid which is increasingly becoming green in itself by the large generation that we have that we're driving at the at the big end of, of the the high tension electricity infrastructure but those sites can then start to actually feed back into the grid and be a benefit to the broader grid as well to be able to to be local generators and local contributors to that grid grid strength and stability the new precincts there's an opportunity to embed it from the outset and that would kind of set the course of of that entire both private land and public infrastructure how can we transition existing urban areas and precincts into being all electric and to kind of shift that narrative around gas as an essential service it's a really good question, Laura, and it's one that we've grappled with over a long time. But I think the essence of it is is really good, well-funded, incentivised programs that the state can deliver and rec- really recognising that every homeowner, every commercial building owner is effectively on a, on a journey from dual fuel, if they've got to two fuels presently to all electric and they might be on different paths to that outcome but the outcome is really really sort of similar and has a lot of consistency for all those all those building types and it's about it's about incentivizing and supporting 
that transition and part of that is around advocacy, part of it is around the policy support. I'd like to see that link between zero net emissions in Victoria for 2050 and hopefully one day nationally linked to a phase out of gas and a a target date for that to occur for at least commercial and residential development and that then suddenly the equation for someone building new or making those end of life appliances decisions becomes really clear and it means that if the infrastructure that you're relying on is no longer supported at a future date then very quickly a an industry can transition to support the things that will be i come back to the the both the both the cost and the the efficacy it sounds like a you know funny word but actually that the quality and the cost of those key appliances so the key decisions from a residential perspective and we talk about this from retrofitting existing detached homes as well as in apartment buildings is achievable now with 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 those split system air conditioners and heat pumps and the same for actual thermal water like so water heating water heaters are able to be achieved all electric now they are really efficient the cost of them is now really competitive and so it's actually quite a compelling ability for that to start to become like driven by consumer choice or or more than that it just starts to become the norm very quickly and i think we 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 are seeing that with a whole series of those types of products that are just really becoming standard they're the normal thing now that you buy um so i I mean i think it's worth breaking that down for people there's three essentially three decisions right if you're a homeowner Mm -hmm. there's your decision around hot water which has traditionally been Mm -hmm. gas which as you said bruce uh can go to heat pump at end of life or sooner if you can afford to your cooking which a lot of people sort of emotively might hang on to as gas but you only need to head to Harvey Norman or similar and try out the latest induction cooktop and you'll very soon realise that you're not giving giving anything up. And the third one is, as I already mentioned, is is heating. And traditionally we've relied on that with cold Melbourne cold Melbourne winters now they're getting slightly milder, but the ability to coordinate that with your cooling infrastructure at the same time means you don't have to stump up cash for two appliances that aren't the prettiest things in your home and that at the end of your at the end of life you can be making those clever decisions there's a fantastic facebook group called all efficient electric home run by a guy called tim forsey which i'd recommend any listeners to jump on and three years ago i think i was member number 600 they're now now at eighteen thousand and and counting and it is it's a support group for people who want to make this transition at a residential level and experts fantastically giving of their time to help people along that way. That point about challenging points of, of transition, sticking points more so than others, hospitals are one, strata apartment buildings are another, how maybe those challenges of transition can be overcome? Maybe if I start with strata buildings, changing anything in a strata residential building is tough. You only need to have a little bit of involvement in an owner's corporation until you realise that just decision-making on its own is is a massive challenge. And that's, that's no different when you sort of transition to electricity from gas. A lot of the services provided in a residential building might start with centralised hot water services or, to a lesser extent, centralised gas, but 
Over the course of those replacement timeframes, there's options and probably the key for Owners Corps is making those decisions ahead of when it breaks down. So you've got a plan in place, you've got your maintenance fund, which will support that transition away from gas at the time when the infrastructure that you've currently got servicing your building can't support it. So that's one area. Another area is industrial processes and obviously mining and manufacturing have got massive thermal loads attached to their processing but there's no technical issue with transitioning all of those processes to renewable energy over time. It's about the cost and it's about when it makes sense to make that decision And as renewables declines and we've seen massive increases in natural gas costs, we'll start to see more and more of those decisions made. And Bruce, have you experienced any of those challenges? Yeah, look, absolutely. And and when Gavin and I worked together a lot, I think the the concept of body corporates, we spent a lot of time saying, and, and at the time we were looking at systems that were reliant on gas, but trying to be more efficient. So how would you do tri generation systems in urban precincts? And there's the, there's the whole technology conundrum that we've talked about that we're now leapfrogging with all electric. Um, but the concepts around how do you actually distribute a sh- common service is actually quite complex. It's complex from a technical issue because everybody either doesn't use that service at the same time or worse, they all use it at the same time. And so designing for that becomes a, a conundrum. It becomes a, 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 question, a challenge around forecasting and establishing a system that can cope with a whole series of unknowns about occupants might use the system. It becomes a conundrum when you've got a body corporate. Everybody has to agree and, and then everybody has to split the bill. Like It's like going to the restaurant and everyone says, well, did you have the extra bottle of wine? Did you have a longer shower this morning? Why should I be subsidising? And, and it's very fraught. It's, and we've been very much... It, it, the concepts are really important about how do you build shared services, but when they're becoming those critical services, it's, it's actually a very hard thing to execute in practice. And we talked about the, those, those three things you need to bring together, technology, people, and a business case. And when you have got those shared services, so where the more that in an all-electric where you can have autonomous equipment, literally someone has their own very efficient, effective water heater, but that you can have those systems that are optionally beneficial for the common benefit so that you can contribute as an opt-in for you've got some solar panels and you can contribute to the local apartment building to reduce everyone's overall import they're the really they're the great um, opportunities i think where it becomes opt-in the all or nothing thing is actually very hard has proven to be really hard to execute the discussion to date we've I suppose alluded to quite a, a large role for government, both from uh, from planning scheme perspective as well as kind of broad scale advocacy and changing that consumer and public narrative around the necessity for gas or otherwise. That policy shift that I suppose will support that kind of transition that we're speaking of, a large scale transition to all electric cities, which is actually powered by renewables, what would you like to see to reach our targets in Victoria over the next few decades? It's critical to understand that we, we've, everybody is part of the solution. So we've all got to make a change in domestic lives. And the, there is a compelling case now for, from the residential sector and from small business, from, from office environments, that being able to do that is, is here today. And it will take a while for us to work, work that through, but it will be, it, it's going to be normal. This is the, that's the trajectory. 
The, the challenge we've got then is how do you bring in and retain or expand the other parts of the economy, so manufacturing, those other processes, which do rely on larger volumes of energy and typically rely on large volumes of, or potentially in some cases, of, of thermal heat. And so there is one of the interesting things, and I'm not an expert in, in this, but one of the interesting shifts, and, and this is obviously an open debate and discussion at the moment is how might you utilize some of that infrastructure for what's transitioning to be a hydrogen economy and that's a that's a big there's a big area for us to think about as a country of both being able to export our renewable energy via large cables which is there's two two horses in the race at the moment is large cables to be able to to contribute to globally about actually being able to generate that renewable energy and transport it as well as the the ability for it to bottle it up and transport it in hydrogen and the challenge then is to understand how do we use those forms of energy that we need to drive to 100 percent renewable but inherently there are large manufacturing processes that do rely on processes like that that, that, that are challenging i think we have to accept that and we have to we, it doesn't mean that we should be complacent or not not challenge ourselves to to drive harder and faster to to 100%, but that that's that really is. I think our job is to get residential and offices done as soon as we can. That provides us that headroom to allow that transition. I agree, Bruce. I think first of all, from a policy perspective, and we've touched on this already, it's legislation and policy support to make sure you're not putting in any new infrastructure, and that if that's done, and the major opportunities there are greenfield subdivision where you're you actually then don't have to pay the, the cost of extending two networks, you're only expe- extending one, and urban renewal precincts where you've got a massive transition over usually a 10 to 30 year time frame, but you can plan for that, you can coordinate that with planning rules. So there are a couple of things that state and local government could do straight away with, with support from a Central Services Commission, etc. And I guess the other thing that I wanted to raise is you've got this tricky thing around what is viewed as a as a sunk cost so you've got existing urban centers you've got gas infrastructure in the ground all around us and i think there needs to be a recognition through policy that just because it's there and just because we've used it for a really long time doesn't mean that we need to keep using it so it remains viable if there's operationally cheaper ways to deliver the end service which is cooking heating etc by another method that's already also in the ground so i think we need to get past that as a bit of a policy conundrum and i suppose it's as you say the government leadership is really required to coordinate all of those you know very disparate elements in order to have that that broad scale transition that will that we will require to electric thank you so much for joining me thanks laura thanks bruce yeah pleasure